This is episode 337 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life so you can love your people, get prepared, and live free. Today's articles are Four Likely Causes of a Grid-Down Scenario, a Prepper Nightmare, and Hot Enough for You, 17 Tips for Staying Cool When It's Hotter Than Hell Outside. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version, with some commentary, of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Everyone, we did get a review on iTunes, and this is from JammerWV. It says, spend a lot of time in the car, working out or tinkering, and then listen to this podcast and become informed. Some of the best news and information on preparedness are gathered and read to you in this podcast. Todd does an awesome job collecting only the best articles and web pages to inform you of what's going on. There is a wide range of topics covered, but all necessary for those with a preparedness mindset. Keep up the great work, Todd. And that was a five-star review. Hey, thanks, Jammer, for that. I really do appreciate it. And uh, if you leave us an iTunes review, I greatly would appreciate your review as well. Um, Every time you get a review on iTunes, that helps to kind of move you up in the rankings and people see your podcast just a little bit more. And so we always do appreciate that. And I'm still looking for someone that is listening on Stitcher to do uh, a review, one or two reviews on Stitcher. That would be greatly appreciated as well. So uh, still kind of waiting for that one. So let's go ahead and start reading our first article of the podcast. It comes to us from thepreppingguide.com. And this one, it's a good one. It's four likely causes of a grid down scenario, a prepper nightmare. Well, I say good one. I think I think all the ones that I read on the podcast are good. Uh, you know, I have a lot to choose from because we post a lot on Prepper website. So uh, when I say that, uh, it's it's good. They're all good. So uh, let's go ahead and start reading this one. A grid down scenario is a prepper's worst nightmare, and it is something that preppers and the government share a mutual fear of. In just one month in a grid down scenario, services, supplies, and necessities will be so severe that your neighbor would kill you for food and law enforcement will be so understaffed that they won't be there to help. You might think that this is the stuff of movies, but it is very possible, and in a very real grid-down scenario, society as we know it would stop to function. Every single process that is run on the electric grid would come to a sudden halt. Much of what we need to survive, such as the things we eat, what we drink, and many of the comforts we have are automated. Without a stable electrical grid, they would cease. And it's not as if someone can just fix a power unit or flick a switch and the grid comes back on. If crucial components of our power grid go, they need to be made again. But how can you make and repair a grid without electricity? It would be like trying to replace a light bulb in your living room without light bulbs. In the modern world, high-powered transformers in power plants convert generator voltage into consumable electricity for the grid. They are the heart of the grid that we rely on every day. These large power transformers aren't just any piece of machinery. They cost millions of dollars to make and have an average weight of 200 to 300 tons. They take a minimum of 12 months to create, which is if there is substantial power and economic resources 
and transport available. Replacing them alone takes at least a month. If these are taken out, the grid will go down and an entire country will be crippled. Left in the dark ages and it won't recover overnight. So what happens if the grid goes down? Whatever contingency plan a government has in place for a grid down situation, it will not be able to cope with the pressure of what will occur. At the initial point of a grid down, power will be out like any normal blackout. Emergency services and recovery efforts will get to work as planned. Most companies will have measures in place to ensure their procedures can work on a temporary outage as they would in a blackout. But those strategies are for a temporary outage, not for a permanent outage. If the grid goes bust, every part of developed life will be switched off. The only thing your phone will be good for is looking at old photos or using the flashlight function at night when desperate hungry people are breaking into your home. And so I'm going to also add, uh, you can download the Kindle app even to your phone and you can put you know, important uh, you know, uh, PDFs and things like that on your phone if you're will- willing to do that. Everything that is automated and runs on a digital service will stop. The three major necessities we rely on every day are water, food, and money. Without these, after one month, a society would crumble at the seams. So water. Without access to the grid, city water supplies will stop. There's no way for pump stations to rely indefinitely on backup generators or emergency power resources if a grid was to go down. This means that public water sources simply wouldn't run anymore and sewage systems would likely fail and back up. Food. Food is a major concern as many farms and food producers are run on automated services, feeding and harvesting. Not only that, but the refrigeration of foods from providers and their delivery all run on a digital system. The trucks that deliver food from farms to stores run on an electronically kept schedule. The stores are not able to provide refrigeration to fresh foods and eventually supplies will not be able to keep up with demand. Some researchers say that social disorder will ensue after a week of a grid down situation as food shortages will drive tension amongst the large portion of the population. A grid down will also remove the option of being able to cook food with gas systems and refrigerating any necessary foods will be impossible. So money. There's no way around the cash system we have at the moment. Most of us have the majority of our money kept in banks that we wouldn't be able to touch or use if our electric grid was attacked. We live in an almost cashless society and all of our plastic money, ATMs, card services, and credit systems run on electricity. After a week of a grid down, the majority of people are not going to have enough money to purchase food or services as they would not have had that lump amount of cash in hand. The majority of these shortages will be caused by a lack of transport and a lack of access to electricity. But it is not what will kill us. The biggest danger is what will come a week or a month into a grid-down scenario when the large part of the population is starving, fighting for food and water for their families. So how a lawless world can happen in a blackout? With these three services shutting down and our society reversed to the dark ages, no matter who you are or what role you play in society, you will be affected. There is no doubt that after a week or a month, as supplies, systems, and services are beyond stretch, that people will refuse to work. Instead, they will focus on their own survival and the basic provisions of their families. 
This means that emergency workers, military, and a majority of police will also be affected. They won't have pay, which means if they do work, they work for the service, not the pay. In this respect, emergency services, law enforcement, and military will be completely understaffed and undermanned. Meanwhile, society's crime levels will no doubt rise as desperation sets in. After a month of grid-down scenario, your neighbor will, would kill you for your food, and there will be no law enforcement to help. In this timeline, a world without rules of law can happen in 30 days. Let's look at the four ways that can happen. Four likely causes of a grid-down scenario. You have seen how desperate and dangerous a grid-down scenario can make the world we live in. It is not the stuff of fantasies either. A grid-down scenario is a very real threat for a lot of preppers. In fact, it's a large reason why the prepper movement exists. And it's not only preppers and survivalists who are worried and taking actions. Western governments regularly trial grid-down scenarios to test their departmental responses and action plans in order to develop counter-strategies against the hell that happens as society starts to collapse. But what could trigger a grid-down scenario? It is likely to be caused by an EMP, cyber attack, terrorist attack, or a coronal mass ejection. Let's take a closer look at how each one of these would happen. Number one is an EMP or electromagnetic pulse. An EMP is the worst case scenario for any country. It doesn't just disable a country's grid, it renders almost all electri electrical items useless and will shut off the grid indefinitely. The power of an EMP can vary, however its effects will largely fry anything that is connected to the grid. There are some things that it won't destroy, such as large battery units that are made with large thick plates and smaller gadgets such as smartphones that have internal EMI shielding, the thing that stops interference. The problem is everything that you would use with these, anything you'd plug into the battery, would be dead. And the phone would be useless, given cell towers would be fried and there would be no power. A majority of vehicles that use computer processors would also come to a dead stop, which would see most of the vehicles on the streets stopped in their tracks. It is a situation like this that worries preppers to the extent of researching off-grid methods from cooking to transport, as these will be skills that will greatly increase chances of survival as well as the rebuilding of communities. According to the U.S. EMP Commission, designed to assess the threat of an EMP attack, a single EMP, this is quote, a single EMP attack may seriously degrade or shut down a large part of the electric power grid in the geographic area of EMP exposure effectively instantaneously. There is also a possibility of functional collapse of grids beyond the exposed area as electrical effects propagate from one region to another. Should significant parts of the electrical power infrastructure be lost for any substantial period of time, the Commission believes that the consequences are likely to be catastrophic and many people may ultimately die for lack of the basic elements necessary to sustain life in dense urban and suburban communities. In fact, the Commission is deeply concerned that such impacts are likely in the event of an EMP attack unless practical steps are taken to provide protection for critical elements of the electric grid and for rapid rest restoration of electrical power, particularly to essential services. So that was the report or a quote from the report of the commission to assess the threat 
to the United States from electromagnetic pulse. Continuing on, while there are a number of causes of an EMP, the commission points out that the most likely cause of an EMP is one resulting from a nuclear detonation. Again, quote, the electromagnetic pulse generated by a high-altitude nuclear explosion is one of a small number of threats that can hold our society at risk of catastrophic consequences, end quote. A more exact measure of the possible toll on American lives that an EMP could inflict was heard in U.S. Congress earlier this year. If a high-altitude electromagnetic pulse was created over U.S. soil, the result could be to shut down the U.S. electric power grid for an indefinite period, leading to the death within a year of up to 90% of all Americans. This would have a worse effect than a nuclear weapon, where unaffected home soil areas that have not been struck would be able to provide assistance. With an EMP detonated at a high altitude, almost the entire U.S. electric grid could be shut down in a single strike. An EMP is one disaster that not that is not avoidable by preppers. You simply cannot move away from it or live in another area that is unlikely affected by it. Two preparations to prepare is to research more methods of conducting daily life off-grid methods to survive without the need for electricity and supplies from services such as grocery stores and public water pumps. These are homesteading practices that are widely adopted by preppers. The second prepper strategy for an EMP attack is to develop a Faraday cage and protective covering for necessary devices against EMP damage. All right, so number two is cyber attack. Another weakness to the U.S. grid and a likely cause to a grid down scenario is from a more invisible war that is being fought online. Hackers have, for the past few years, been waging a war against many developed countries in a bid to test, penetrate, and attack the power grids of many countries. The U.S. power grid has been the target of a major campaign of attacks led by Russian hackers in the last two years, which has proven to be very successful. According to the Department of Homeland Security, Russian operatives have successfully hacked their way into the U.S. power grid earlier this year. The breach into the U.S. power grid system was a show of force by an unidentified hacker group with the simple goal to show that they are capable of taking down the U.S. grid. And this is just an individual. Imagine if a government was to commit to a hacking war against another country. It could cripple and destroy a country's electrical grid. When people hear the term hacking, it is easy to assume that the worst that could happen is some information or email passwords are obtained. Wrong. Hackers can do a lot more damage than just that and can even cause harm or death. Many of a power station's large power transformers are controlled by terminals that decide how they operate and at what level they function. These controls are connected to a grid accessible through the internet, meaning hackers could essentially change the settings of a power transformer and cause it to explode. At this point, hacking becomes a weapon to cause physical harm to others as well as to destabilize a country's grid. While many preppers fear a grid-down situation, for Ukrainians, this has been a real situation caused by hackers. In what is believed to be a concentrated effort by Russian hackers, Ukraine's power grid has been hit several times, as well as their transportation systems, energy, media, and financial systems. Many of these attacks have been attributed to operations run by the Kremlin, but there have also been intrusive measures by both Chinese and North Korean hackers as well. It is a very real 
and very frightening concept. Hackers have already obtained access to the controls of power stations in the U.S. They have shown the world how they can cripple a country's grid as they did in Ukraine. If there was a more concentrated effort to make an act of war, hackers could destroy many of the power plants in the U.S. and effectively wipe out the grid in one swift attack. All right, number three is terrorist attack. While an attack by Russian hackers and a possible government-led attack would cause a grid-down scenario, radical terrorism is also a large threat to the grid. Quote, there is an imminent threat from ISIS to the national electric grid and not just a single U.S. city, says Dr. Peter Pry, executive director of the Task Force on National and Homeland Security. He says inadequate grid security, a porous U.S.-Mexico border, and a fragile transmission system makes the electric grid a target for ISIS. A report from the National Research Council stated that a concentrated terrorist movement would cripple the grid. Quote, a terrorist attack on the power system would lack the dramatic impact of the attacks in New York, Madrid, or London. It would not immediately kill many people or make for spectacular television footage of bloody destruction, but if it were carried out in a carefully planned way by people who knew what they were doing, it would deny large regions of the country's access to bulk system power for weeks or even months. An event of this magnitude and duration could lead to turmoil, widespread public fear, and an image of helplessness that would play directly into the hands of the terrorists. If such large extended outages were to occur during times of extreme weather, there could also result in hundreds or even thousands of deaths due to heat stress or extended exposure to extreme cold. That's end quote. And those attacks need not just be from overseas Islamic-based terrorism, but can also be from terrorism on home soil. Terrorism poses both a physical and digital threat to the power grid as they are growing more and more capable of digital attacks as above, as well as crafting weapons on home soil to be used to destabilize power facilities. Homeland security experts have said that a terrorist attack on the grid would be well planned and researched. Some have identified that an attack on the grid would be the start of a two-pronged attack where lights, communication, cameras, and security would be shut off with a grid-down scenario, then a group would likely use this as an advantage to launch a secondary attack while bombing essential structures. One senator said this was a way for terrorists to create chaos on top of chaos. Like many of these attacks on the grid, there is no way to tell when they might happen, only that if they do, there's going to be a lot of chaos as a country settles into darkness. Number four is solar flare and coronal mass ejection. A different threat to the power grid is one that is not posed by human, but rather by nature and science and is an EMP from a coronal mass ejection. In 2012, our entire planet was on the brink of a doomsday apocalypse. That's right, we were about to be sent back to the Stone Age from a massive solar storm. The cause was from our hot neighboring star, the Sun. It had one of its biggest solar flares and coronal mass ejections ever seen since scientists have been watching the Sun. What on earth is a coronal mass ejection, you might ask? A coronal mass ejection, or CME, is when a giant cloud of energy and solar plasma is blown away from the Sun in a very large and violent eruption. This is a little different to solar flares, which are bursts of light eruptions. 
Whether it affects us is largely based on where and when it happens, as it could completely miss Earth or it could be directed right at us. When it happened in 2012, it just missed us. Had it have been a little closer, you would not be reading this. Why? Because a CME causes a gigantic rush of electrons through the atmosphere, destroying everything electronic. The strength of a CME is like likely to be far more effective than a man-made EMP from a bomb and thus would have a much larger impact area. While we might have plans for grid-down scenarios such as ones caused by hackers, a man-made EMP, or terrorism base, when it comes to a CME, if directed at Earth, can have the EMP power of 20 million nuclear bombs. In 1989, a geomagnetic storm hit Earth, yet there was much less of an impact given since we had less of a reliance on technology, but it still had its effects. For instance, Canada's power grid collapsed within 90 seconds of the CME arriving. If it were to happen today, the cost would be crippling. According to the National Academy of Science, the potential damage of a storm similar to the 1989 CME would cost between $1 trillion and $2 trillion in the first 12 months of recovery. The report says a full recovery for the power grid would take 4 to 10 years. So preparing for a grid down. There is no doubt that the power grid is a weak spot for our country. With one swift strike or EMP, it can destroy a country and a recovery would take longer than 12 months before the heart of our power plants can be replaced again. Prepping for this possible scenario is not easy. In fact, you will find it would be much easier to prep for a storm or a natural disaster. These events are temporary in how long they last. One week into a grid-down scenario and you are likely to see poverty, starvation, lawlessness, and a societal collapse. Preparing for this type of event doesn't involve just having a simple food supply and a bug-out bag. It requires knowing how to live without technology and power and develop sustainable methods of harvesting water and providing food. In this worst-case prepper scenario, your best method of survival is to work with a community of like-minded individuals that are able to share the workload of food, growing, water collection, security, and rebuilding a society. All right, guys, kind of a more lengthy article there, but I think you'll agree with me that definitely worth it there. There's a lot of things to consider there, especially being that our electric grid is so fragile on top of all the other uh, you know, things that are going on in the world and how fragile our world is there. And uh, so definitely one to, uh, to always keep in mind and uh, be paying attention to. All right, guys, like I said, that's over at the Prepping thepreppingguide.com and I will link to this article in the show notes. Alright guys, because it is Friday, you know I always pick an article from the Prepper website archives and since it is summer and it is so stinking hot where I'm at, I uh, don't know how things are where you are at, but in honor of the heat, I decided to pull up an article from thesurvivalmom.com and the title is Hot Enough For You? 17 tips from staying cool when it's hotter than hell outside. And so uh, she says here, this is an excerpt from my book, Survival Mom, How to Prepare Your Family for Everyday Disasters and Worst Case Scenarios. So uh, this has a release date of July 29th, 2017, but I believe it was released a lot earlier as well. I, uh, 
I linked to this article from Prepper website from the archives. And so I think she just, this is an updated version of that article. But uh, a lot of good stuff here. So let's go ahead and start reading this one. And hopefully you'll find some tips and techniques to help keep you cool this summer. One of the most critical uses of electricity is staying cool in very hot weather. Our bodies can become quickly overheated with young children and the elderly being most susceptible. I was in Chicago during one of the worst heat waves in 1995. Employees of the Hyatt Hotel where I was staying had to stand on the roof and hose down giant air conditioning units with water in order to keep them running. In a matter of days, more than 700 people died because of this heat wave. How did our ancestors survive then without air conditioning? I've spent my entire life in the American Southwest and as you might expect, I have a few tricks up my sleeve when it comes to staying cool. Number one, keep spray bottles of water around and spritz faces and wrists to stay cool. Number two, in the earliest morning hours, open windows to let in all that cool air. Be sure to close them again along with all blinds and curtains once the day begins to heat up. Number three, just before bedtime, spray bed sheets with plenty of water. Aim a battery-powered fan towards your side of the bed. Jump in and go to sleep quickly. Number four, wear bathing suits around the house. Number five, if you'll be outside, wet a bandana, place a few ice cubes down the center, diagonally, roll it up, and tie it around your neck. There are commercial products that do the same job like this one if you don't have ice or it gets too messy. Yeah, the ones that have, and I haven't linked to the, or haven't clicked on this one, so I don't know exactly which one she's talking about here. Um, I'm going to go ahead and, and do it and go check it out. But yeah, um, well, this is uh, like a chili towel, whatever, that you can wrap around your neck. But they have the ones that have the gel inside. And so when you dip them in water, um, they activate and then they just, they, they get, they're cool. And uh, we took those out to the country first time we ever went out there. And, um, you know, I got them really cheap at Walmart. Uh, in in the sporting goods section, I think they had them on clearance or something like that. I got them for like two bucks, and they're still out there. I and mean, we use them. You know, you, you just wet them to get them to you soak them uh, to get them reactivated, and uh, you know you just you go to town. And so when we're on the tractor and we're cutting grass or whatever, definitely uh, have those on. They they really work. All right. So number six is check doors and windows for incoming warm air and install weather stripping if necessary. This will do double duty in the winter when cold air is the enemy. Duct tape can substitute for weather stripping if you're desperate. Number seven, check the western exposure of your home. If you have windows that face west, check into inexpensive blinds from Home Depot or Lowe's. Even aluminum foil taped over your windows can help keep your home cooler as well as sheets of bubble wrap. Number eight, if you need to do outside chores, do them in the morning when the sun rises or even earlier. Take frequent breaks and get plenty of water. Number nine, if you must, douse your naked body with water and stand in front of a battery-operated fan. Stock up on these fans and make sure you have plenty of batteries and please close the blinds. Um, you know, they have the USB powered fans that you, a lot of people would connect to maybe uh, your computer in your office, but you can connect them to one of those uh, battery packs and use that to cool down as well. Number 10, take a slightly warm bath. 
As long as there is water in the hot water heater, it will lower your body temperature, making you feel cooler longer once you get out of the tub. Number 11, drink those eight glasses of water per day and make sure every family member remains hydrated as well. This is particularly important for babies, toddlers, the elderly, and anyone with chronic health issues. Number 12, plant fast-growing shade trees, particularly on the west side of your home. If they provide shade for outside windows, such so much the better. Shade equals cool. Ask a local nursery with well-trained employees what shade or plant trees grow the fastest in your region. Number 13, most of the hot air that enters your home comes through the windows. Thermal curtains may be the solution if your home has lots of windows. If that's not an option, try using push pins to hang blankets over each window. Number 14. If you long to be outdoors, fill a kiddie pool with water, sit down, and relax. Be sure to wear sunscreen. When the water gets too warm to enjoy, use it to water the plants. Number 14. Don't overexert yourself. Avoid working up a sweat if possible. Save physical labor for the cooler parts of the day. Take a lesson from desert animals. They rest in the shade or underground during the day and come out at night. And number 16, fill a tub with a few inches of water and dangle your feet in it while you read a book. And lastly, number 17, cover furniture with cool cotton sheets. Here's a tip. Because water is so essential when it's hot, make sure you have plenty on hand. Please read about the various ways to store water. My friend Debbie is a fanatic about keeping her electric bills as low as possible in the summer and she follows many of the tips above. Right around lunchtime when the most intense heat is on its way, she and her kids head for cooler locations. The public library, movies, theater, mall, a friend's house, public swimming pool, etc. Alright, so uh, to end off the article, here are uh, some signs to be aware of for a heat stroke. So strong rapid pulse, elevated body temperature, excessive thirst, hot dry skin, dilated pupils, dizziness, nausea and vomiting, headaches, confusion and seizures. So stay cool. And here's a tip. Along with learning about the signs of a heat stroke, consider first aid CPR classes. All right, guys, that's over at thesurvivalmom.com. And like always, I'm going to link to both of these articles in the show notes so you can go and check those out and read up a little bit more. Definitely look forward to staying cool this summer. Well, guys, that is it for episode 337 of the Prepper Website Podcast. Hey, don't forget to subscribe to the show. Come on over to theprepperwebsitepodcast.com. And that way you never miss another episode of Sweet Prepper Goodness. Hey, and if you haven't checked out my new ebook, The Preparedness Community's Guide to a Microbiz and Increasing Your Finances, maybe this weekend is the time to do that. You can come over to theprepperwebsitepodcast.com and get more information on that. And remember, when you do buy the ebook, not only do you get the PDF version of it, you also get lifetime access to the Prepper Website Forums where you can come and interact with other people and talk about uh, your micro business and also interact in other preparedness forums as well. And don't forget that if you are looking for more preparedness content, we have tons of it over at PrepperWebsite.com. Not only do we post somewhere between 8 to 12 articles every single day, Sunday through Saturday, but we also 
uh, have pages dedicated to specific topics like alternative news, uh, firearms, DIY, frugal living, and so uh, conspiracy theories, uh, all kinds of stuff. So we welcome you to come and uh, check those out. You can get to those by the clicking on the top right-hand corner, and then you'll have a, a menu that drops down there. Hey, and don't forget to take a moment to connect with me. I have a lot of ways to connect in the show notes as well as the Facebook group. All right, guys, with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until next week, stay prepped and aware. Peace.